Hey guys, jumping in here before the show, I'm sorry, uh, just to make a quick announcement. You may have noticed on your podcast machine of choice that the author or whatever of this podcast changed a little bit. Maybe if you haven't, hey, look, now it says Kickers of Elves. What's that about? Uh I know. It's a really awesome song by the Guided by Voices. <laughs> no, no, I, I believe the name of that song is Kicker of Elves, singular. That's true. But, so then I don't know where it comes so from. So this is totally different. This is not a reference to that at all, right? Uh, yes. All right. Between you and me and the wall, it kind of is. A, it's just a, it's just, just a, it's just, just a name, right? But it's, it's what we're going by now. That's what all our different podcasts will be under in iTunes and all the other apps. And also, hey, oh my God, you can also, if you like us, oh, check out our new Patreon. We've been doing this podcast for almost two years now. I don't know what the numbers break out to, and we haven't asked for any money. And And those times have changed. (laughs) Those times have changed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you want to support what we do, look us up at patreon.com slash kickers of elves. Uh, we don't want to give you just like, hey, please give us money for nothing. Mm-hmm. You'll get something. We're going to release probably at least two podcasts a month. You'll get our opinions on things that are other than Star Trek. We talk about a lot of things that we don't record normally that you might not have heard. Yeah. That some of it might be more interesting than just my girlfriend was mad at me or whatever. Yeah, we <laughs> we talk about shows and yeah, we, we talk don't, about we, what's going on in the zeitgeist, politics, TV, various adventures that we have as individuals it's gonna be a little bit raw right because we're not yeah um, yeah we're just gonna having like a peek behind the curtain so if we burp we it's burp, a, it's, it's like, unfiltered <laughs> yeah it's unfiltered, it's unfiltered to a certain yeah, extent. yeah it'll, it'll be unfiltered yeah you, you'll at least get that unfiltered stuff and then we might get extra stuff every now and then i wouldn't be surprised if each one ends with uh i'm gonna go take a piss and get a beer we'll be right back and then <laughs> it's possible <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, no, we're excited. I'm excited about this. I think I like over the course of the time doing the show, I was each time we have these hour long conversations before we record the podcast. I'm like, this stuff's interesting, too. (laughs) There's some good stuff in here. Yeah, Yeah, people should hear it. Now we have a place for it. We had a lot of venom towards Westworld that never really quite made it onto the (laughs) Fuck that show, man. Well, and like our escape pods, uh, the ROA on the OA and our escape pod on Lost. Those kind of special episodes will now be on the for only for Patreon listeners. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the reasons we're kind of doing this is to, to rebrand as Kicker of Elves and everything is because we know that we're about halfway through. We're more than halfway through Deep Space Nine. Uh, Discovery is going to be a little bit sporadic. And so we have sort of ideas going on in the future. And so it's, we kind of want you to, like, know what the hub is. Right. And so that if we throw like, let's say maybe we do something on Dune, maybe later um, like that you'll know that it's Dune by Kickers of Elves and you'll know that brand and you'll know that uh, I'm probably going to irritate you <laughs> and you'll probably be sympathetic towards Wade and he was really funny. Well, it's <laughs> like or switch that around. Like, I could like, be the, yeah. You're a little grating, Wade. You're a little bit too excited about this dumb shit. Like, well, chill out. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll go listen to a Discovery Home Companion to hear more of that. But but the, the special recipe that we have going, you'll know that that it's uh, that'll go towards us and other things so yeah yep we we kind of look at it as a band name yes with uh the rules of acquisition being our first album and the discovery home companion being a sophomore effort and we would like to have more stuff come down the down the road as kickers of elves 
and uh, we hope that you'll check it out. That's definitely. All right. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, I guess, are we done? Now Now on with the rest of the show that you're here to listen to, <laughs> right? Perfect. Through the darkness of futures past. Oh yeah. The magician longs to see. Oh yeah. One chance out between two worlds. Oh yeah. Fire walk with me. Hello, and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition, a podcast where we will be going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the Star Trek that killed the dream of Star Trek. Uh, yeah, the best show ever, uh, whatever. Anyways, uh, with me as always is James Nolan. Hey guys. And Hugh Crawford. Hello. And my name is Wade Bowen. Yes, today we are talking about part two of a two-part episode series. Last week was Homefront, and this is Paradise Lost. Yes, this episode is the 11th episode of season four. It aired on January 8th, 1996, and the IMDb description is as follows. When Starfleet institutes martial law to combat the changeling menace, Cisco begins to question if the Dominion is the real threat. Yes. Yeah, this is uh, basically the Act 2 and and 3, you know, half of Act 2 and, and all of Act 3 of a longer story arc. Wrap some stuff up. Yeah, like, like yeah. I feel like the first episode was like, oh, Cisco's on one side, and then at the end of it he realizes... Well, not even. He doesn't realize even maybe until the beginning of this episode that he was on the wrong side when he's arguing for all these extra security things to go in place in the last episode with uh, Admiral Layton has been talking to Inyo Duresh or whatever, president, weird face of the Federation. Mm-hmm. and But then all the power went out on the whole planet. <laughs> The planetary operations in Lisbon was sabotaged or something. And then so now... Martial law is in place, and it's four days later. And they got, so four uh, college freshmen can take out the entire light grid of the planet. Yeah, they got yeah. kindergartners doing it, and I don't understand. I never understood the wisdom in having the cadet squad do this super secret of super important uh, and highly illegal. Thing. I mean, it's like I mean, it, the, the logic may be the same as child soldiers in Africa. I mean, like, <laughs> exactly, they're gonna give you less bullshit. Okay, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, hey, Nog's on Earth in the Academy. Let's what's a plot contrivance to where we can have Nog be a thing in this show? Yeah, I, I guess we're, we're not really feeling this episode. We're kind of low. We're kind. Of, it, this is a fine episode. Or, yeah, I, mean, I thought it was a good episode. This is yeah. Yeah, no, no. I, I yeah, I don't. I don't particularly have a problem with this episode. I think it was, I mean, I think it's a... <laughs> Do you not have, so is it just whatever for you? Because I thought this is a pretty big and kind of, it's a big episode. They go back to Earth, they, humans, well, it's a Federation two- officers are having conflict with each other. There's. <laughs> that's all last, that's all last week, buddy. What is this week giving what? me? No, well, <laughs> last week. No, I get you. I get you. Federation officers are on the same side saying we need more security. And then this week. Cisco was like, wait a minute, we fucked up. And then 
there's, you know, spoilers is at the end of, not spoilers, at the end of this episode, there's a Federation ship firing on another Federation ship. Yeah, no, that's. Yeah, there's casualties too. Yeah, Yeah. 24 people on that ship die. 26 people die total. I think that, I think it's a really great story. Like, I think that it's got kind of a weird, I don't know. Like, like it's got a, like the Maison scene didn't work. Or something, because I really have no problems with the show. I'm not bitching about it, like, but I got to bitch about something, or else people won't hate me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. you're, you're really, you're really working at your heel status here. I am committed. I am, huh? <laughs> yes, I am the Triple H of this uh, of this podcast. Um, okay, like <laughs> half of the show takes place in a sleepy. Half, both of these takes place in a sleepy Bayou Cafe, right? And it's just it's. It's a strange contrast, and so, I felt like so it was one. You don't like Joe Cisco's restaurant, okay? No, no, so. no, 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 no. It's got no. an alligator on the ceiling. I'm just saying, like an old tonally, apothecary. T- tonally, when they're supposed <laughs> to be stoking me to be excited, everybody's stopping to drink Bolian water, like and like, like and stare <laughs> they out don't of have, They don't have Bolian <laughs> tonic. At the restaurant, I guess there's a lot of there's a lot of like character stuff they're trying to do on the back end, yeah. and that slows things down. Like, remember when you used to work for me, Ben? Yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> I remember. Yes, do you remember that, Ben? Yes, I remember. Back in and Ben, do you remember <laughs> back in the, <laughs> back on the Okinawa? Right, right. Back in when they were in the Z- yeah. hey, they I, they referenced the Zinkethi War again that we had at the in the adversary episode. They sure did. Well, we got to see a little bit of Cisco origin story that we get Ben the Builder again, where yeah, he's yeah. interested in engineering, and that was kind of cool. Yeah, did we know before that he was a? I guess that means he was an orange shirt. Do we know? Did we know that before? He he said that at, yellow. He yellow said shirt. that at one, yeah. He said that at one point, right? Maybe. I mean, and he did. We know. I that, think it's been brought up one more time. One one time before. Okay. And in between season two and season three, he went back to run the uh, yards where they built the Defiant too. So he was. I mean, they're kind of. I don't feel like it was necessarily there in season one, but they're really doing their hard work to cram the backstory into so his character. Can Ben Cisco you know? pretty much do anything? Well, he can pretty much do anything you need an executive officer to do, it sounds like. Yeah, he's great. Well, he's he can secu- run your shipyard. He can run security for the whole planet, right? Right. He can run a station. Yeah, yeah. He's the, be- you're the-, he's the best executive officer that I've ever had. Best that Admiral Layton ever had when he was on the Okinawa or whatever. And he's had a lot of executive officers but maybe we should start going through it a little bit more instead of just sure yeah well i feel like we've already gone through i mean last week for folks you know ben cisco and jake go back to earth with odo right and there's a threat of changelings attacking earth Mm -hmm. the wormhole of deep space nine is acting weird uh ben cisco meets his old captain admiral Layton, Admiral right? Layton. Layton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they meet uh, Joe Camel, who is the the president of the Federation. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, convince him to, at the end of the last episode, to like put jack booted soldiers in mm-hmm. the streets of Earth and declare martial law to, to get uh, everybody safe. Right, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then it opens up four days, four days later at the beginning. And there, there's been four days of military. People on the street, then, then, hey, and it's just like current, it's like current events. There's a leaked email that they find <laughs> that's, that stirs up the shit. They find a, a log, the Red Squad, which is these cadets, secret 
organization, you know, it's Book and Snake, the secret society within the Academy, <laughs> or Skull and Bones, or whatever other Yale fraternity, uh, secret society we want to talk about. Yes. And then, so they, they find this email or log, and then they call the, a bully in while Odo is uh, hiding behind the wall, and the bully is like, all right, oh, uh, oh, you found that? Good job. Delete that immediately. And then Cisco has to uh, figure it out that something's going funny with Red Squad, and then he goes to talk to Nog about it. Oh, that was a great scene yeah, yeah. where he dresses down Nog. I mean, yeah. we got some good Cisco stuff There's some here. great stuff in this episode. We're, we're, we're kind of underselling it, I think. I said one I mean, bad it's thing just about it. Two... I didn't, I didn't... <laughs> I'm going to say, I think that, yeah, I think that James brought up a good point about the energy of it, though. When, you know, we get, we get it gets kind of bogged down at times <laughs> with bullying water and reminiscing about the old Days. See, I don't know. I think it's, I mean, we've said before when we have these two-parters that they can like take time to breathe and get stuff in that we, I like to see. And that's sure. I don't, I've also said before, maybe not on the podcast that apparently I find boring television, very entertaining for myself. Well, so but, who knows I mean, but what, you no, can, I, but you can recognize thematic, like a, like an energy ramp up, like in the soundtrack and the way scenes are lit and the way like it's shot. <laughs> Like they they they, they could kind of ramp it up a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, it is kind of. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess it it's shot kind of like. Oh, there's some good shot in, in some of this, but I'll wait till we get there. There's some of the things in it visually that I found. Well, there's one thing that I thought was great. They have a zoom but, in, right? Where they zoom in. Yeah. Well, I won't say what it is till we get there. But then. All right. But, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, well, just and then there's just the Cisco and Nog scene where he's getting the, his dad Joe Cisco's. Let me chill some tube grubs, and then he asks him about Red Squad, and the guy's like, I don't think I can tell you, Captain Cisco. Is like, yeah, you mentioned before, like his dressing down of Nog's like, oh, you seem to be under the impression that I'm asking a favor here. <laughs> Like, no, that's an order. It's like, oh, shit. And then the next scene, yeah, they're back in that office, which you're right, visually, it's all kind of washed out bright lights in these, like, this office by the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, mm-hmm. which looks a lot like, I'm pretty sure that's the same set that they shot the scenes in Past Tense, where Dax is talking to, what's his name, that <laughs> Steve Jobs, but that's a whole, that's neither here nor there. Well, <laughs> a lot of these feel like they took place in the waiting room of an, my eye doctor's office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that maybe that's the theme that I'm thinking of, is that the, there's this sort of tonal shift, like the energy of what they're doing and what he's uncovering, it was often undercut by the filmic, the filmic elements of it, let's say. Sure, sure, yeah. So that, that's my only sort of thing about it. So that if you... Well, I mean, the first episode packed more of a punch because it's centered around the emotional... Yeah, like torment of Joe Cisco. Yeah, and and this episode, you know, it's it's all Joe's taking blood tests and he's bebopping around, and even Cisco has to address it. That was one of my favorite parts of this episode is Cisco's frustration with his father. Yeah, yeah. and then his father calls him out for it, and you know, Cisco just kind of shrugs and was like, "I don't know, I'm just I'm just irritated." (laughs) That was a very real. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. there's a certain way. Uh, and then, you know, uh, yeah, it's like I'm under a lot of stress. There's a certain way that only a family member can get under your skin, right? You yes. know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then when they you get called out on it, you just throw your hands up in the air. You realize the problem's you, not them. Right. That was a a level of reality there you don't usually see in Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. And the setting and the mise en scene and everything. 
It hasn't changed from last episode. We didn't bring it up last episode. It's just, I guess, the stakes are different. The stakes are a little higher, I think, than this episode. Yeah, but, yeah. So I don't see what's different than the last episode, you know, as far as wh- why it would be boring or anything now. Well, I mean, like you you had a coup attempt on Earth. I know. That's not boring. <laughs> that- that's my point. I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like it was... I think that in the first episode, the introduction of the Sleepy Bayou Cafe and all of that was good because it's introducing Joe Sisko and everything. But this, it seemed... I don't know. I don't know. I'm not I'm not even saying that this is the right critique. I'm just saying that I'm not even saying it's a critique. It's like a, I'm docking a point off for it. <laughs> I'm not saying this is like a shitty episode. I feel like we're, I'm talking about the thing I don't like a lot about it a lot, even though I'm not saying that I don't like the episode. Yeah, it's a fine episode. Yeah, yeah. it's a good episode. A <laughs> little, little, little cheap. A little could have been a little more could have packed a more punch. That's all I'm saying. All right. All right. <laughs> good plot. Good plot. Great acting by Avery Brooks. Obviously, great acting by. Uh, oh, this is like this is top shelf Avery Brooks that we're getting this episode. Lou, Lou Brock was great in it. Bob Gibson. Lou Brock. <laughs> Orlando Cepeda yes. was just the best. Are these <laughs> these are baseball references, aren't they? <laughs> these are. I don't yes. know what you're. I heard Bob Gibson. I know that one. Uh, that tipped me off. But then, and yeah, and then Cisco goes straight from yelling at Nog to you know talking to Johnny from Cobra Kai. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Real Zabka. That, like, like the the guy from Red Squad, Riley Aldrin Shepard. They called their casting what astronaut is Riley. Their casting agent had a file called Little Shits <laughs> and like perfect little shits. <laughs> like and she's she's she, I can get you ten little shits reading on like <laughs> right. we'll do it over Skype. I've got the casting agent that cast all these high school movies from the 80s. She's great. Yes. (laughs) Where he's the preppy villain or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, His name's Riley Aldrin Shepard. Riley is just a little shit white boy's name. (laughs) Aldrin and Shepard are astronauts. I don't know. (laughs) That is probably what it is, actually. Oh, the character's name? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Aldrin and Shepard are obviously. Right. Mm -hmm. There's probably a Riley that I'm not sure of. Bill O. Riley. (laughs) Not an astronaut. (laughs) The head of the That's some damn sloppy work, cadet. <laughs> yeah, that whole scene was pretty great. I like that scene a lot. Yeah. I like most of the scenes with Ben Sisko. Avery Brooks is pretty pretty fucking great in this episode. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. So And then um, this whole thing, like I don't know. I think I love this episode more than y'all do. But uh <laughs> I liked it. The thing where he's talking was like, Oh, how do I how do I turn against these people that I respect, you know, they're, they're, they're not evil people. They're my friends. They're people I respect. And then Odo was like, no, they didn't. I mean, you're not turning against them. They turned against you, that whole thing, which is, I think, uh, pertinent to current events. And I mean, I don't know. This is, oh. the, the, I mean, and wait, this wait, is also. Wait, 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 Are you casting Ben Sisko as David from and the rest of the, as the Republican Party? I, I don't do it. <laughs> or or some other like Republican never Trumper. Yeah, well, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different things we could relate this to. I mean, the whole thing. Another thing that I've brought up this episode before, and when I was doing the whole Paley Center thing forever ago, that for a show that takes place like what five, six years before nine eleven, the whole idea of how do we sacrifice our uh, rights and freedoms for security yeah. mm-hmm. is a pretty huge thing, you know? That, and that's, okay, this, so this episode goes straight into that. I think I teased this a little bit last episode. That's a big thing I'd like to talk about, is that did they... Would it have been more interesting if it wasn't an internal plot? 
if it was about the overreach of a legitimate threat. Well, even that, yeah, I mean, where at, it, well, the the Dominion is a legitimate threat. I mean, they about? are because they are. They, we had that great scene with uh, the changeling as O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where there's only we find out there's only four of them on the planet. Yes, and it is so it, it does exactly what you just said, James. No, it is a legitimate threat. They are causing havoc. But that that was the point. It's like, and then, uh, then we we turn on and eat ourselves when we're right. faced with it. But like, it, was uh, a, it was an overreach, but did, which yeah. is kind of what we get with the you know terrorism and all that other stuff. And you know, it's like, and I mean, and that's how the episode ends. We're not going to sacrifice our rights if we do that. Then they win. You know, it's like, uh, and then when they go to the the president and tell him that, hey, look. Layton's trying to pull a fucking military coup on you. He's like, even if I believed you, I can't do anything about it. The public overwhelmingly supports Layton's security measures. That's like, it. If I, okay, if right. I override okay, him now, point, there's going to be planet-wide riots. But my point is it was a military coup, and it was a fake. It was a false It was a false flag operation. It was a false flag <laughs> operation. <laughs> I mean, but so, like... With kindergarten is running it. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, James, we, we all know that 9-11 was an inside job. <laughs> it was an inside job. <laughs> now, okay, so my... My point is, uh, is I, that, that wouldn't it? That's I a joke. No, I got it. I got it. <laughs> no, I was like, oh, that's an awful thing to joke about. That's all. We get a new listener. Uh, yeah. What happened to What happened to World Trade Center Seven? You can't name it. You can't answer that question. I, jet, all I know is that you can't melt, melt steel beams or jet, jet fuel doesn't jet melt steel. Jet fuel. <laughs> yes, but okay. So my my thinking aside, all I know is that. One planetary operations center doesn't shut down the whole grid, man. It's, it's yeah, that <laughs> there's something be, going that's on. It's hard to believe. The whole <laughs> we live in a utopian paradise, but all of our energy runs through one little area. And they're telling me high schoolers did this bullshit. Now, um, <laughs> but, uh, but okay, so what if I mean, if it was a legitimate threat, where you actually do like as a viewer have to balance because what it does is once you find out that it's Brenda's dad <laughs> that's doing it all the whole like oh well we and Cisco can all know what we need to do it's because all this is bullshit all this is overreach and it's being manipulated by a corrupt dick yeah. or a dick that he's he's gone too far yeah that's nothing like what we have right now <laughs> no no it's totally what we have right now but like what I'm saying is like I don't think that the fear is after you know going through the going through the the Bush years and the Obama years too. Let's not let's not wash him from this. That you have this argument that's legit. There are like in America there are legitimately factions of terrorists that that rise up and want to, to uh, like want to blow us up and 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 kill mass amounts of people. Oh yeah, well for an, for and- a, for an ideology that sort of binds them all. So that's a legitimate fear, and then that leads to all of this sort of crazy overreach. But, but once you get in an argument with people who want to put, like, Muslims in concentration camps, or you get into these people that want, like, uh, the government to look into everybody's emails and do all this shit that Snowden brought out, you end up being in an argument with someone who's like, well, yeah, but they're killing us. Well, And we have to somehow defend ourselves from that. Where in this episode, that never really got addressed because... I don't know. Did the did they actually? It, there was an there was a bomb. I don't know. I disagree that it wasn't. It's this whole the impetus for this whole thing is there was a bombing in Antwerp 
of a meeting between the Federation the and the Romulans. But that's that phase was, one, but what actually started that was, the... That was not Admiral Leighton. That was actual changelings. That was the actual threat. That was the yeah, terrorists. Yeah. That's not the threat the that real, makes... It, that's not the threat that puts uh, soldiers on every street corner. I, well, exactly, because all they have to do is have one little thing, and then it's the thing that tips us off to destroy doing their job they do one inciting incident, then we'd overreact and do the terrorist job for them. Yes. And then that's... And that I, that's the theme of the episode. What I was saying is, would it have been a little bit of a messy moral quandary if they're really... I think it... If Cisco's having to have that argument without there being a false flag operation. If he's having to have that argument just on civil libertarian grounds and not on, like, this didn't really happen. Oh, yeah. You know, just on the, we shouldn't live our lives this way, even if they can cripple us. Sure. I mean, but it's like, I don't know. Then what do you fill the episode with? Just changeling attacks? Like, that's not as interesting. Please to, to come, I don't know. <laughs> like, please to commonality or something? The whole point of it is that we will destroy ourselves by betraying our values and for more security. Right. And that then start, yeah. And you know, and the fact that this is all before pre 9 11 kind of blows my mind a little bit yeah it's actually almost like what is like what was their inspiration for this yeah i mean we we talked last week that it, it is actually before the oklahoma city so yeah i don't so, yeah. i mean even then i don't remember i mean i was young but i don't remember a heightened security no yeah right you know i mean maybe the ruby ridge people felt that way but i don't know if you know <laughs> right, right like so i i don't know like what is the sort of impetus of this overreaction yeah. but it, maybe it's something they you know you see in foreign countries and stuff I, like well that. i mean well who knows maybe it's just like a um acknowledgement of the human condition right and seeing what we can do to ourselves when insert yeah yeah situ- maybe it's just creativity i don't know right and i don't try to I, god i don't like turning everything about this show into uh Israel and Palestine, or or not just in Israel, <laughs> but like I mean that's a common turn. Like the how do you approach terror? Is do you you know that I tend to even now because we have a we have about a terrorist event in the world every month. So every month we get to relive this for you know twelve fourteen hours where we have this you know everyone on Twitter every right wing person on Twitter is like. I'm loading my magazines right now. This is what, you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mo- like 300, we are Sparta and all of this shit. And then all of the, you know, all of us lefties are on there going, now let's wait for all of the reports and this doesn't damn everybody. And we're all sort of, we're all sort of used to that. But there's also this sort of mindset that I, I like to see that, that gets me a little giddy after like these horrible terrorist attacks is when you hear like whenever they bombed London or the driver in London killed those people and they're like, I ain't changing fucking life. I'm still living my life. You know, that's the mm-hmm. that's how terrorism wins. And so that argument about, you know, that that's the argument in the episode. And they're right in that. And that's that was really it is prescient. This idea that when you when you go to a heightened sense of alert to protect an enemy you don't even know is co- or you know is there, but you don't know how, when you change your way of life, that's what they're doing. That's the point of a terrorist. Right, right, right. And, you know, so they they want you to be this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like my dad. My dad always says things like, "What you think that like during the election last year?" He was like, "Do you think the terrorists want Trump to win or or, or Hillary Clinton to win?" And I was like, "I don't think they give a shit." <laughs> but yeah. if they do, like I'm sure they're fine with Trump. Like I'm yeah, I'm sure like they want the most reactionary, violent rhetoric. Oh yeah, yeah. 
they want that. They want us to put Muslims in concentration camps. Right. Well, that's what the terrorists want. Yeah. That's the same way that the changelings want mm-hmm. Admiral Layton to take over and set up a military dictatorship. Yes. I mean, even with the, the changelings kind of worldview, they want order. So even that, mm-hmm. even if they weren't decided, they want to be the ones giving the order. But they- Layton is such a true believer that Cisco actually has to spell it out to him that that's what he has on his hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, you have overthrown, motherfucker, you have overthrown the government. Yeah, yeah. Through military means. Yeah. You, What do you call that? Yeah. And Layton's just, it still seems unfazed by that when he's called out in the carpet for Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. He was like, Oh, you're the best officer I ever had. You always spoke your mind. Like that time when we were, I wanted to chase these Zenkethi into this asteroid belt and you didn't want to. You chased me into the office and tell me not, but I did it anyways. And, you know, I, a good officer must respect the chain of command. And, you know, and then he's like, Oh, well, you were right about the Zenkethi and you're right about me. Yeah. And and, the, and then he relieves him of his post. The, the, but the, but talking about like the, the terror threat and how that's what the, the, the changelings want. You almost see that with Khomeini almost creaming in his shorts, so giddy about like everything that's going on. Oh, yeah. That was like, that was an interesting sort of turn in the episode. That's the scene I wanted to talk about where I really loved how they, how it was shot, where he's outside. I mean, uh-huh. he comes up and sidles up to Cisco, and Cisco's a little slow on the uptake there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> he's sitting on a bitch. He's like, wait a minute, you're not O'Brien. Like, <laughs> hey, O'Brien. And just, <laughs> O'Brien's doing a great acting job there, too. Like, well, I knew immediately, one, because O'Brien couldn't get there, but he's not playing O'Brien like O'Brien. And he's like, oh, this guy's a changeling, obviously. <laughs> and it takes Cisco a little bit a minute. Wait a minute, you couldn't have gotten You think they were worried fast? about people being confused, so he had to take it up to 11? M- maybe, yeah. The producer's like, hey, listen here, writers. The audience is just, isn't as smart as you or I. We got to dumb this down. Anyways, but yeah, and he has a whole spiel about like how he doesn't want to be locked up in one shape. And that's unnatural. And But then... You know, like, then he's a little bit of uh, the enemies in this show were space Nazis to an extent. Like, we're smarter than you solids, and we're better than you. And his whole thing about... Oh, yeah. There's a lot of that. Yeah. And, you know, and the difference between you and us is that we're not scared of you guys like you are scared of us. Like, and your fear is what's going to destroy you and that whole... But what I loved about that shot is just Cisco sitting, being a sad son of a bitch on a bench outside and shot exterior... But when he's like, let me ask you a question. And just the way the light flashes over him, I don't know. There's something like, I just love that shot for some reason where the light just flashes over him, where it's just like a signal that he's a changeling, which we already know, but just, I don't know. Yeah. I guess it was just me, but I thought it was great. <laughs> no, I think, it's a, I think it's a really great scene, too. I was happy to see that. I thought that was kind of clever. I thought it was weird that he came as O'Brien. Uh, that was, but that's neither here nor there. I liked yeah, it. It, it. Gave Colmini some a bit of business. It gave Colmini, and I thought yeah. Colmini was great. And it's yeah, it's uh, just you would think he would come as Lou Brock. Oh, his dad, base yeah. stealing, base stealer extraordinaire for the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you would think he would come as Brock Peters. And right, like, well, they've already been. They've set up last episode was all a big tease. Was is his dad going to be a changeling? Yeah, I don't know. And it shows that they know all about him because he's like, oh, I, hey, he's acting like O'Brien. Even it's like, oh man, I thought you wanted maybe you'd want to go get a pint or throw some darts down at the pub. And they got and Cisco's like, 
fuck off. Yeah, yeah. No, Avery Brooks and and Comini, but Avery Brooks is just amazing in this episode. Yeah. He's the glue to everything. So like, I think that the energy that does carry forth is all him. He's even, I mean, he gets to do it. It plays to his strengths. Yeah, he gets to have these emotive, dynamic speeches about you know morality and shit like that. It's uh, it's what he likes to do best. Yeah, he gets to talk about Nephi Beaumont. <laughs> and his talk with his dad about the girl because after he's been sacked basically mm-hmm. and told relieved of duty he's just kind of moping at the restaurant and his dad's like shit son you gotta get off your ass and you know shit or get off the pot you know like like when you were hung up on that girl that you were brooding about brooding and pining and i told you like there's comes a time in every man's life when you get, must stop thinking and start doing and then you went out immediately and asked her out and she shot you down. Yeah, that like, was oh, that was in such detail that I almost thought that was going to play, play a role in it. <laughs> like somehow that was going to be. I, a, I liked it. That was in, it was delivered in such detail. You thought there was going to be a changeling show up as Zoe Phillips as the girl that he dated for three years. I don't know. I don't. It was strange, but it was a lot of detail. Like given it. Yeah, that's Earth is actually saved by the relationship. With Ben Cisco and his father. Yeah. Like, actually saves, is saved. Yeah. The fate of, of Earth rests between how strong their relationship is. Yeah. Yeah, and I really dug that about it. I, I like I like Joe Cisco. He's, he was the straw that stirred the drink. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, I like that a bit. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, a weird thing about this episode is in, in spending all time and it makes sense and i don't know if it's something i hate or something i don't like it's not so everybody put your dicks back in your pants my <laughs> right. after me. Zip. <laughs> it's so strange and i get it because of teleporters but i mean half of it takes place in the san francisco bay uh-huh like in the presidio and the other takes place in the bayou and they kind of come and go so easily that it makes it seem like Earth, it makes Earth feel like Epcot Center, like, and it's sort of yeah. this. Strange... Oh, they also go to they also go to Paris, James. Don't forget. Yeah, oh yeah, that's they... where the president's office is. <laughs> the, the the capital of Earth is in Paris, which I, I yeah, get. it's because of transporter technology. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, it I, no I get. I'm not saying I'm confused. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, that. I, sorry, my I'm dick not, fell out there for a second. I, I, I get it, guys. Like, there's no logic <laughs> issue with it. What I'm sorry, saying sorry, is, sorry, my just, dick's back it in. Makes, Pants, it makes worry. everything feel weird. I don't know. It, maybe it's just me, but the idea of distances and, and, and space is an element of the planet. And, it's and a globalist future, James. Get used to it. James, it is. It's, Glo- the one the thing, it's the one thing that makes me kind of <laughs> wistful. And I like the distances of things. It seems too. It seems weird. It seems. Sure, sure. It makes Earth seem. It's the most alien thing they do. That, that, that they represented the future that really gets me is just kind of weird. Right. So, you know, they walk out of like a, you know, a French Quarter cafe and into like, you know, and then a second later they're, you know, at the Golden Gate Bridge. It's just very. It's disorienting for It's you? offsetting okay. to me, but I get it. Yeah. That's yeah. a thing in Ringworld. That's how they get around in transporters and in, in the book oh, Ringworld really? on Earth and Earth in the far future. Mm-hmm. For they far, I think they call it far casting. Oh, I think they do that in Hyperion as well. Right. Oh, yes. Yeah, Hyperion as well, yeah. Yeah. They do that through a whole planets and stuff in intergalactic. Yes, it's intergalactic in Hyperion, and it's just on Earth in Ringworld. Yeah. So I I guess you're not nerd enough to approve. For those of us that read a lot of sci-fi, it makes makes me wonder about why would anybody live in the spaces in between area? Like there's no over country transporter over country. But it's like, seriously, they they don't. That's how um, uh, Captain James Kirk can go mountain climbing to fuck the mountain in Star Trek five. Nobody's out there. It's just wide open spaces. 
climb the mountain and Spot can fly up on some jet boots and pick you up. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems that it makes, I don't know, I'd be interested to explore that more critically, like to some work or some science fiction work to explore that more critically because it seems like that's really destabilizing to a sense of place. It's really destabilizing to all kinds of economy issues. So that's, that's why you get it, stuck it with may, a monoculture on your planet. That's probably true. I mean, it, it, <laughs> you know, like a nice restaurant, you know, that everybody's eating at Nobu. There's no reason to, I don't know. It's just, it's all very weird. Yeah. They should have taken and, like three more episodes for this story arc. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I did. I, it wasn't, it wasn't that it, I didn't think it was too drawn out. I, I like the story and, and I like these kinds of things. I'm just saying that I would like to have, it seemed like this was the first time that it hit me because it's two episodes and they're gallivanting across two expanses I'm familiar with in this country. Like, Right. It, I mean, I think that would be an interesting story to talk about. I think it's outside the purview of these two episodes, but it, it sure, would be an ex- sure. extra it's not interesting thing. It's not outside the purview thing. of a podcast. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you got me there. But, we, but, you know, we try to keep it under. <laughs> no, no, no. But I just that that's one thing that I noticed that I thought was like, it strikes me as weird in this episode. I mean, it is a weird thing. Yeah, yeah. In a way that I'd like to pick at, like a scab. So, but that's neither here nor there. Okay, yeah. But yeah, so he has to talk with his dad and then decides to sh- stop thinking and start doing. And then they go back to his old office that's white and like, yeah, like you said, the optometrist, the big screen. <laughs> go And then he's like, oh, I never knew how easy it was to hack into security stuff. And he's like, oh, everything I ever... No, I learned from Quark. And then they go through the names of all the transfers that Leighton's been doing. All I noticed was a guy named McWatt. And I was like, Mike Watt? And I was like, no. Mike. <laughs> they had a Snowden in there as well. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. They did have a Snowden. I noticed that. I did notice it. Yeah, yeah. You know, the traitor Snowden um, <laughs> in this show. Not, I don't know what other Snowden we might be talking about. But the 14th is going to be a big day when there's going to be the, the coup going to affect, you know, the fourteenth is a very big day, like um, like in the leftovers. Oh yes, which October fourteenth, which I only remember because it's also my birthday. Was it also October? <laughs> Wait, your date was the my, great yeah, departure oh, the, was on your birthday. The departure was on my birthday. Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah, oh, I knew right. it because well, sure, well, yeah. obviously I noticed. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, pretty crazy. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, those of you that are listening to our uh, fourth dimensional. Leftovers podcast and we talk about that all. Of yes, yeah. <laughs> our secret leftovers podcast that <laughs> yeah. we that we do that you're just not cool enough to know about. <laughs> right. You guys have got our invite. You know all about it. <laughs> but and then Captain Benteen, the captain of the Lakota, his right hand lady, Bactine or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the close of both of these episodes, she looks like such she looks such like such a humorless bitch. I think I fell in love with her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought she did a good job. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I could learn to love her, sure. Yeah, she was, she was kind of like, I like that it came down to like, I, Jesus. What? 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 No, that's funny. Uh, I'm just <laughs> I'm just laughing at the joke again. Uh, okay. The joke that it's really not a joke. I mean, it's, that's how you genuinely felt watching this. Yeah, I, I, I tend to, I tend to like abrasive women. But <laughs> it's the, it, never. And she's like, oh, what are you still doing here? I was like, oh, I'm going to take some leave. You're an interesting man. Like, paradise never seems so well armed. And then Cisco goes to the president with his story, and they sh- show Joe Cisco from last episode. Is like, you know how easy it was would be to fake these blood tests. I could fake this, and then they fake a blood test on Ben Cisco. 
throw him in the brig. He, I love how he throws this. He just throws his shit down. And it's like, oh, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, all right. That was a great. His frustration. <laughs> yeah, his frustration was was pretty great. Something I did not notice the first time around with President Joe Cool, uh, Joe Camel, <laughs> uh, is that a big part of his outfit is gloves. <laughs> yeah. He's he's wearing like we commented on his uh, Andre three thousand head wrap, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, but not his gloves, right. But this time he's wearing like Mickey Mouse type gloves, and it's just because they don't have the budget for like hand makeup or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, so that was something I noticed this viewing. Yeah. I bet if I, and I, oh my God, I've never paid attention to this before. I bet there's a lot of gloves on aliens. Oh, yeah. It's like, even in, you know, because no one wears gloves inside. It's a weird thing. <laughs> it's a super so, weird thing. So, to do like, it at your desk job when you're the president of the world, yeah, you wear he's typing gloves. on a keyboard like Strong Dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's an early 2000s reference yes. from the internet, kids. <laughs> I, I liked all of that stuff. I liked that he got arrested. I like the, the little jailbreak one scene later. Oh, yeah. When Cisco just walks up to the thing and the, the people, the guards are just talking shit and being kind of quirping to each other like guards in jail do. But but where he's just like, well, you you could just let me out. Yeah. <laughs> let me out. And it's like, ah, oh, no. But then Odo comes up and does the Vulcan neck pinch. Yes. Yes, he does. Yep. Does he? I wonder, I, I wonder if he'd he learn it at some point. I would like to know where he got that into his arsenal. Right? Yeah, like I they tra- just threw it in as an Easter egg or something, but did they want to... S- I trained with a Vulcan senpai <laughs> right. for two years or some shit. I don't know. Probably just in yeah. actuality watching a YouTube video on how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I mean, that's probably how he, how he really did it. But. There are several YouTube videos of teenagers <laughs> doing it a lot <laughs> and they laugh uh-huh. annoyingly yeah have you heard about have you heard of this vulcan neck pinch game <laughs> it's a horde on all our schools it's all these uh black kids doing it and, and we should be afraid of them it's the knockout game <laughs> <laughs> The Vulcan pinch game. Yes. It's a scourge. We need cops to <laughs> right. stop. Uh, my, my grandmother told me about it. She saw it on Fox News. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Fox News won't shut up about the knock. <laughs> the, the Vulcan neck pinch game. All right. What yeah. But, and then he steals a phaser and goes, holds up Admiral Layton in the same boring office. He sends a note out to Kira to get the fuck, like, get the fuck over here. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bring Bring guns. <laughs> Come over here, bring guns. Right. Yeah, they've they've captured Lieutenant Ariaga on the other side of the wormhole. Mm-hmm. And the one little kind of weird note that I mentioned last episode that finally pays off is like at the beginning of the first part of this series, the wormhole's opening and closing for no reason. And this guy has been messing with the satellite on the other end to trick everybody into thinking that there's a cloaked armada coming through the wormhole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Kira has gotten, they captured him and they're bringing him back to Earth to convince the president, and uh, Leighton has gotten his Captain Bacteen, or Benteen, to go intercept the Defiant with the Lakota, and told everyone on the uh, Lakota that the Defiant's full of changelings, and to not let them get to Earth, there's a fight, and it's like, oh, this is, this is the path to fascism, from, because they're like, oh, it's a military dictatorship that Leighton's kind of upset, setting up, trying to do the right thing, and then it gets out of control, and he's locked into it and ends with federation 
firing on another Federation ship and blowing up the Roddenberry rules entirely at this point. Yeah, that's true. And having a particularly nice little scene with Worf having to oh, yeah, yeah. sort of ultimately make the decision to do it. And that, that was a that was a moment I liked. I was a little confused. And it cuts just a Worf on the bridge yeah. and Bashir just doing his coolest lean with his arms crossed. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, the Bashir lean. Bashir strikes a pose. It's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let me look as cool as possible for the camera. Yeah. He's been practicing that in the mirror. So what was your, how, you, what was your, how did they was, win? I mean, real quick, cause I don't want to belabor the point, but I, I it was a little bit unclear how they ended up winning the defiant because she didn't, she, they put Bettine in a position where she was going to have to make the moral choice of whether she blew up their, the, the engine. Yeah. She's like, Oh, they have a, bl- right. the, oh, well, I, blown. I got, I got that. They have a blade of armor. Nobody told us about then like, wait, nobody knew about the blade of armor. We've heard so much about this fucking ablative armor. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's, it was classified, I guess. Right. I All right. But yeah. Then I guess I didn't miss it. Then I caught that. I thought that somehow the defiant actually did something, like outmaneuvered them somehow to not. I think that she put them in a position where she was going to have to make a moral decision. Right. And that's when he said, if you remember. That Cisco is with uh, Brenda's dad when he's telling B- Benteen, which is such the coolest name, when he's telling Benteen, blow them up. They're all fucking goo people. <laughs> and, yeah. And then he goes, they're not, you know, and he's like, they're not goo people. And I'm telling you that. And I'm not, you know, and you faked the test. So you know, I'm not a goo person. So all of this, you're you're in deep, but you're about to kill people. Oh, she, ne- she never was under the illusion that they're goo people. Because she's like his right-hand man. She knew all along. But well, that's what he was he was telling her, though. Well, he was like, yeah, he was just reiterating what you, she already knew. It was like, you know they're not. I don't think he was giving her new information there. Well, no. But, okay, I guess my point is... is she that- was okay firing on them, but she wasn't okay blowing them up. And then Leighton's like, oh, they have a blade of armor we didn't know about? Use the quantum torpedoes. And the reason... And the, what he said to convince her of doing that is saying that they were all goo people. That's everyone else on the ship thought that they were goo people. Like, she knew, she was the one that had the right info from Leighton. She already knew that Cisco wasn't a goo person. And she was the one, she was his most loyal person. She was the only one on on that ship that knew they weren't all goo people. And then then she's okay firing on them and shutting them down, but not destroying the ship utterly. And then Cisco reminds her of that. Yeah, I don't think that she didn't know they weren't goo people. I I thought that was obvious to me that she knew that they were goo people. She was was, ultimately... That wasn't obvious to me. I thought... yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she ultimately uh, trusted Cisco over Brenda's dad. Right, that's what I thought. That that was like she didn't have inside information. I, he wasn't. Li- he was lying to her. I don't think that was it at all. He wasn't lying to her at all. He was. She was willing to go so far. But not to, and then she's like, wait I mean, a minute. He tells her that they're goo people. No, he says, I've told everyone on that ship, but she does not think that they're goo. She's the only person on that ship that doesn't know. You're, so you're saying that she's in the know, that, that they're all She's in the know. But you have no proof that, yeah, that she's, she's in she's, the know, is no, what I'm saying. He, but like, no, that's just the way that they talk about it. Like, she's willing, she doesn't stop firing on them. But that's still an inference. It's, it's the quantum torpedo issue that makes her change her mind. Yeah. Because she's okay shutting them down and taking them prisoner. She's like, but wait a minute. No, wait, wait. If I use the quantum torpedoes, that'll kill them all. I know they're not goo people, but I'm not willing to kill them all. All right. And then Cisco says that. And I mean, I'll take your word for it on that. Yeah. you're. I mean, yeah. I, I, I would say that from my understanding of, of watching it, I mean, she eventually came to the conclusion that they weren't goo people. That's why she didn't fire on them. Right. But. I mean, okay. no, he was trying. He was, was trying to. He was trying to convince her that they were. I don't think that was ever the case. 
she's one of the officers that was loyal to him. I'm only going by the things he said. So. No, and it was like, that's true. But, like, it's not what he said. It's what he said. Everyone on that ship believes that they're goo people, but they were talking about, because Cisco even says to Layton's like, wait, if she's the one that turned on you and she's your most loyal one, it's not because she, she, she knew the whole, she would have, if she, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think she ever. Okay. But, yeah, I don't know. Should we steer this toward the end? Yes. Mm-hmm. How many... I just, I mean, like, I'd be interested to do the numbers on this. How many fucking, like, I mean, like, it's almost a cliche now for this, for the, for the Roddenberry rules to stay intact. But it's also like almost a cliche that every time there's a higher up or an admiral or they got to deal with upper federation at all, they're evil, duplicitous clint bags. Yes. Right. Well, and the- I don't like at this point, it's almost like they're idiots for not suspecting that from the get go. Yeah. Once you like when Leighton lays down those admiral pips, mm-hmm. Cisco picks them up and says, what is it about these pips that makes everybody a fucking asshole? <laughs> yeah. That's a good. That's a good way to. Yeah. That's, yeah. We had that problem in the first season of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, where yeah, they yeah. were taken over by body snatchers or something <laughs> like that, right? War, like, yeah. Yeah. And even then, they show even consistently throughout the the rest of the of TNG and this show, it shows every old captain. He was my old captain, and he's back here to like every time they're there to be a to be a dick. <laughs> Right. And to fuck it up and to ruin things. It's like, yeah, you, you know, power corrupts, yeah. man. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I know. It just, it seems like that, you know, if you want to show them as a, as a I, I get what it is because you want to, you want your villain to be above you mm-hmm. in some way. You, so you have to fight up. I get that, but it's still like a, if you're trying to like create the Federation as this great noble body, you know. <laughs> That it's hard to it's hard to do when every time we see someone from an elevated position, they're either like goo people have turned them into Nazis or bugs have crawled into their ear face mouth in some way. And like, you know, so there's all these different ways of doing it, but they do it all like every time. Everybody hates funny. their boss. It's something you they oh, can, yeah, they, yeah. folks can relate to, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get the I get the draw to having those kind of stories. But yes. All right. Yeah. But it's tiresome at this point. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then I like that. that Kira, when they're like, Leighton or Benteen's going to kill everybody. And then Worf is like, well, we're not, that's not an option killing them. And Kira's like, well, it's them or us. She's the Worf no in that situation. She is. She's <laughs> totally the Worf no. Worf has learned. And she's like, no, we got it. It's like, oh, I was like, calm down. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. she won't do it. Leighton's like, I've got enough loyal officers to fight. And I'm like, you're fighting the wrong war. And then, yeah, he puts the pips on the table and, like, and walks out and then. And then they have the uh, back in the bayou. <laughs> uh, they have the like, what have we learned moment with, uh, you know, yeah, everybody. The moral of this episode is. Yeah, yeah the whole like, uh, yeah. we're not going to let the changelings, we're not going to do their work for them. If they want to destroy the f- Federation, they'll have to do it themselves. You know? Right. Yeah. Because it was like, Oda's like, they're still fucking found. There's still fucking goo people everywhere, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you guys have any yeah. final thoughts on this episode before we get into the guessing of what the good people of IMDb think of this episode? Oh, I have one final thought. Is Cisco looks good in that uniform. <laughs> He's in the, the old original, TNG, dude. old school, right. original. Right. And and he does he does a lot of the Picard pull down the shirt for emphasis move when because it rides up, you know. Right. Yeah, he does. Like Patrick that. Stewart did all the time, but Cisco's man, Avery Burks is a master of it. And just with those pips, I don't know. He just looks sharp in that suit. And I'm sure there's some Michael Lakota book on the ver- why he had to change costumes. Well, because like, well, yeah, was, technically the uh, 
Yeah, well, well, well. Technically, <laughs> the Deep Space Nine is a station uniform, and that's like the standard Starfleet uniform. It's a like old school one. But actually, this episode is the last one where they do the back and forth. Like a friend of friend on Twitter, friend of, or somebody, a follower on Twitter pointed this out to me, where who was talking about all the costuming stuff. Uh, I, uh, yeah. That this is the last one where they do the back and forth, uh, interchanging the costumes depending on the situation kind of thing because then the i guess the next movie would have been insurrection yeah then they switch they just all go to that right they switch to that except for voyager never did because well that would make sense yeah well voyager gets lost in the gamma quadrant so they don't have the chance to switch they got all their old clothes that would have been kind of a weird thing if everybody got new regulation that would be right. And I can't remember if Voyager does the Deep Space Nine style or the old school style. I don't know. I think it's old school, isn't it? I think it is too. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. I, I watch like I don't know. Somebody will tell us. I'm the least. Anyways. I'm the least qualified person on this podcast to answer that question. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's my final thoughts. He looks sharp. Yeah. All right. Are we doing the rewatch meter first? Are we still doing that, or is that a dead segment? Yeah. Why not? All right. Well. Okay. All right, so for new listeners at home, the rewatch meter is not an indicator of quality, but merely an indication of how likely we are as individuals to rewatch this particular episode. For whatever, it's almost maybe a comf- uh, Is it a comfy meter? Or it's whatever, you, like how comfy. Whatever the reason, if you want to watch some DS Nine, mm-hmm. what are the odds this is one of them that you put on? So on a scale of one to ten, where do you put this one, uh, James? I put it at or Wade? Yeah, Wade went first. Sorry, I put it in eight. Wow. It feels like really? I thought you'd go higher. As far as like the themes and arc of DS9, it feels pretty important. And for all you bitching at me earlier on, I'm going to put it at an eight too, buddy. I all like right. this episode. <laughs> yeah, I like it too. I would probably put it about it. I mean, I would probably have to put it at a nine or whatever I put the last week's because it's really just a yeah. continuation it's of last week. Yeah. Whatever yeah. I said yeah. last week. I think I said eight or nine last week, and so that's probably be eight or nine for the rewatch meter for me. Yeah. Do you guys want to guess how many stars this particular episode has on IMDb? Can I ask what last week's was again? I forgot. Eight point three last week. Ooh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. I was going to go with eight point five before I even knew that information, and I'll still go with that. I'll stay. I'll stay firm at eight point three. It's an eight point two. Really? It's it comes oh. in. A, yeah, it comes in, it comes wow. in a, at a hair under eight. Yeah, eight point three. It's not as usually. I don't think this one comes in as hot because it's got less Brock Peters in it and I less. Guess. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's, it's got a, more seltzer water and less Brock Peters. <laughs> Bully and seltzer it really calms the nerves. The fuck off! I don't want that shit. Right. It's uh, that's unusual because usually the second part of two parters do better than the first, which. Well, the first episode is probably superior because you have that great high tension scene where you don't know if Cisco's dad is a changeling or not. Yeah. Yeah. They really did a great job on working doubt into the audience's mind. Yeah. And Cisco's mind. And it was and it was a good it was a good one, yeah. Yeah. And I bet, you know, I bet it gets hit a little bit for the people that go through the trouble to rate Star Trek shows on IMDb. I bet there's a certain amount of the uh, DS9 killed the Roddenberry vision that like this one, you know, him and Leighton are on the same side in the first episode. This one, there's Federation killing other Federation. Yeah. So that some people, some of the nerds might be upset with that. That it is sort of, I mean, it is a, it is a bit of a ramp down, 
you know, where like it seems like that Earth is going to be invaded by goo people. Yeah. And it turns out that, you know... We were the like, monster at the end of the book the whole time. Yeah, yeah. So a, a captain, you know, like an admiral became cunty, and they, they got rid of it. So, you know... Yeah. And they, yeah. they the system the system worked. <laughs> they got rid of him right. through the system, and the system worked. So uh, it's a little bit of a come down, but I guess in theory, if you want to look at, but also I, I think he was right. It's just trading in a lot of, a lot of good Brock Peters for a lot of good Grinda's dad, and I mean Brock <laughs> yeah. Peters is going to win. That. He's going to win that one, yeah, every time. Yeah. So <laughs> all right. Not that, not that not that Brenda's dad is bad. No, he's good. No, no, no. He's... But he's not the straw that stirs the drink. <laughs> he's not the answer. <laughs> yeah, he's not the straw. That's... Yes. And how does that? How does this episode end? Uh, oh. This oh, episode. Get... Are we talking about moving on to our emails and voicemails? Oh yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. I think that's okay. Where... I, I got ahead of myself. It's like, oh, they, they end with three to beam up, but we're not to that part of the show yet. Oh, okay. Oh, is that well, what they actually, say? they actually say? They do. They well, actually I, do say that. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. They say three to beam up, yeah. Or something. Yeah, yeah. well, then Brock Peters like opens that. the door and says, well, I I insist that you order the jambalaya or, or whatever <laughs> the word. I open right. my restaurant, yeah. yeah. And that's how we'll sign off. Uh, I like. For the rest I do of like the it. series. Is, we'll we'll say. I I insist you order the jambalaya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do like it. I I know this is true with other chefs. I do like how he goes. Most of my menu today is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If if you don't order the the jambalaya, you're a fucking asshole. All right. You know Jesus. that ultimately just just you know capitalism sets in. It's it's whatever he got for cheapest that day at the wholesalers. <laughs> what are you talking it's about? Capitalism. There's no capitalism anymore. Well, but he still has to go get the real. He's got real food. There is a resource scarcity with him. Sure. That would have been more interesting to talk about like last week, but okay. Yeah, yeah we well, sh- yeah, we get a whole, there's a whole Treconomics. Yeah. Go read, go, a- go read <laughs> Manu's book. He gets into it. About the restaurant? About he, do- he does Justice actually talk about the restaurant, yeah. Wow, okay. I need to read this book. Yeah. All right. It didn't seem right, all those phases everywhere. Am I the only one who's worried that there are still changelings here on Earth? Worried? I'm scared to death. But I'll be damned if I'm going to let them change the way I live my life. If the changelings want to destroy what we built here, they're going to have to do it themselves. We will not do it for them. All right. Uh, welcome to uh, the voicemails and emails and response section for the rules of acquisition. And here we have a call here from our good friend Kate, who has always has some good insights into what's going on. This is a little bit longer, but I, I think... I think she has some good stuff to say, so... Hello, it's Kate calling in to talk about Hippocratic Oath. I enjoyed the episode a lot, and I got pretty emotional while watching it, mostly about the Gem Hadar, and I do have a lot to say. But the episode did not get off to a great start with me, thanks to the first scene between Bashir and O'Brien. Homoerotic subtext in media is kind of a complicated topic for me personally. I've spent most of my life, from early childhood onwards, being frustrated by the treatment of women in fiction, particularly my favorite genres of sci-fi and fantasy. I'm also in a romantic relationship with another woman, but it took me a long time to realize that I wasn't straight, and as a kid, searching for representations of myself in the things that I liked, I wasn't desperate for gay content the way I was for well-written female characters. DS9 does a lot with gay subtext, mostly between men, the two major examples being Bashir and Garrick and Bashir and O'Brien. I definitely notice it, and in general, I enjoy seeing those characters interact, 
but for the most part, I'm more emotionally invested in other relationships, romantic or platonic, usually those that involve at least one female character. This is pure preference on my part. I am generally more drawn to stories about interesting women of any orientation than in stories about romantic relationships between men. But in addition to that, there's a trend in fiction as well as in fandom to sideline female characters and even to malign them in order to advance or explore a close relationship between male characters. There isn't much of that with Bashir and Garrick, but Keiko is sometimes used that way for Bashir and O'Brien. While I liked their relationships arc in the episode, the conversation at the beginning kind of soured it for me. Obviously, people have to have friends outside of their romantic relationship, and sometimes you need to talk about your relationship with someone else. This is true even if you have a lot in common with your partner and consider them one of your best friends. But this scene seemed so unnecessarily gendered to me. The idea that men and women have some inherent barrier to understanding one another is so old and tired, even taking into account the fact that men and women today might have different viewpoints based on general trends in socialization and experiences these sorts of stereotypes and social hang-ups shouldn't exist in the same forms in this supposedly enlightened future. I know, it's not really the future, it's the 90s, but it's still frustrating. That said, I like most of this episode a lot, though Bashir and O'Brien's relationship isn't the main draw for me. I'm a huge fan of stories about low-level bad guys who decide they don't want to fight for whoever is controlling them and try to desert or defect. Fantasy and sci-fi are full of these generic armies of faceless villains who never get much depth. And at first, the Jem Hadar fit this mold pretty neatly. This episode, along with The Abandoned, really drives home how cruel their situation is, created for the sole purpose of fighting and dying at the orders of people they never see and to whom their individual lives have no meaning. I appreciate this episode for finally digging deeper into that and for giving us a compelling Jem Hadar character with motives and a distinct personality. My main complaint is that it never really comes up again. Obviously, it's much too early in the show for Bashir to come up with a cure for Ketrasol White addiction, not if they want to keep the Dominion around as the most powerful enemy in the show. But I find the possibility of Jem'Hadar Rebellion a fascinating scenario, and I wish there had been a way to work it into the show later on. I like what they did with O'Brien in this episode, reminding us that he has combat experience and a hidden badass side, but just like every other time that happens... It makes me wish there was some piece of media I could consume to get a coherent, detailed account of O'Brien's backstory and the war between the Federation and Cardassia. So, in general, I like the A-plot a lot, but it leaves me wanting more information, and it brings up some really interesting potential plot threads that the show never really picks up again, which is sad. That's all I've got for Hippocratic Oath. Thanks for putting up with all of my rambling, and I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of the episodes. All right, yeah, um... It's an interesting take at the beginning. Like, I mean, cause I mean, cause I love the conversation at the beginning between O'Brien and Bashir, but you know what? I was a pretty, uh, cis white male that was, uh, experiencing it in the nineties. So it was kind of written for me. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I get that. You know, yeah. a liberal guy that was like, okay with gay people and everything, but like, Oh, ha, ha, but you know, but from that's a perspective that, you know, that's a pretty, yeah. That, I think I, that's why we have a platform for people to call in. Like she brings up some excellent points that yeah, yeah. the three of us normally wouldn't have, mm-hmm. have been able to express. She also, well, Kate always brings it. I mean, she calls it ramblings, but they're very well thought out points, yeah, yeah, you know, no, I agree. and they're really concise too. I mean, she, 
she takes a while to catch up, but when she does, she she gives us the hits. And I and I know what she's saying about the O'Brien, um, like a, an exact history of his war with the Cardassians. I don't know exactly where that fits in and to what extent. If only there were a series of novels to well. tell us that story. <laughs> well, but I think they're giving him the trope that soldiers tend to be. They tend to look at things as more of a of a militaristic way right and that there is sort of and i think that part of some degree i don't want to i haven't experienced a war or ptsd or anything like that but it seems to me from everything it is it is a subject i've read quite a bit on it seems to me that part of it is that you and in a way your brain gets not just from the trauma gets rewired but there's like a militarism that gets rewired in your brain mm-hmm. and that you kind of just have to like adapt to that and I think that you can see that. And I'm not saying that like there's some people that come back from uh, from conflicts and become obviously more more peace oriented and not don't stay in these kinds of, like concept of militarism. But I think if you look at like someone like John McCain, who seems to want to go to war with every country that looks at us funny, even though he was obviously an atrocious victim of the war he was in, you know, you sort of like start looking at it and you're like, they, there's just a mindset that it's hard, like your brain gets boxed in. And I think they're doing a little bit of that with O'Brien, where either through the trauma of war or through the like the the stress, and after you've killed a few people, there's a way that you kind of justify it. It's like, well, this is a natural state to how to deal with threats. Mm-hmm. And so you just kind of commit to that. And I think that with O'Brien, that was where they were going with that. And it's convenient for them story-wise because he gets to play that role. Right, right. And have that voice in stories. But I think that, and I think that's what they were doing there. But I think that's where... Right. And the Jim Hadar just kind of live in that. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're almost unrelatable or non-human. Right, right. They're almost treated like... And I think to some degree, Klingons are like that. Obviously, they're not human, but you know what I mean. Right, right, right. That they're, they don't have... They don't possess a spark of humanity. They are just killing machines. And that episode actually dealt with that... I think Kate is right now. Like that's a point that didn't occur to me before is that maybe they put that storyline in a, an impossible soil of early on in the show's history so that it couldn't bloom. Yeah, yeah. So they have the story and it can't go anywhere and they can't do it later when it actually could go somewhere yeah. and really complicate the story that they're telling. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good point. Yeah, it is kind of like a it was an interesting premise and just a bad time to tell that premise. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I, whether it's a bad time or not, yeah, they they clutter up everything so that they can't bring it back later. Yeah, got too many other threads. So. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for calling. Yeah, that's it's always great to hear from Kate. Yes, excellent as always, Kate. Okay, well, before we go, James, do you have anything to plug? I do. My second video for my YouTube site is finally out. It's not going to be in two weeks. <laughs> it's not going to be in two weeks. In fact, it, it probably went up what, five days ago? And uh, it's doing pretty well as of this recording. I'm really pleased with the reception it's getting. And uh, it is on the subject of cultural Marxism and the Frankfurt School and possibly a... uh, where a lot of the grief of anti-Semites and a lot of like, if you start, if you swim in a lot of right-wing circles, there's a lot of sort of bullshit about what's wrong with this country. And I just sort of take that on. So I would encourage you to go see it. Um, hopefully it's really interesting. I know a lot of you have already seen it and give me some feedback. So that was really exciting. So I uh, just encourage those that haven't to check it out. It is, it is an hour and eight minutes long, but I, I try to make it, it goes by fast and I try to make it super interesting and I don't repeat myself and babble and shit. <laughs> So, it's good stuff. Uh, yeah, go check that out at, at YouTube. Uh, my channel's name is Forever Jameses, and just give it a shot. Thank you. Yeah. All right, I've got my comic strip that you could check out. It's called Crimes Against Humanities, and it is a daily comic. 
that you can find on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, your social media of choice. Just type in Crimes Against Hughes Manatees. Wade, what's up? Well, I guess y'all heard at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. Sorry you had to sit through that. But hey, go check us out. We're under Kickers of Elves now. Mm-hmm. So if you like this podcast and you want to support us, what we're doing, or if you want to support a Discovery Hope Companion or whatever else we're doing, go. or if you just want the extra podcast, go to patreon.com slash kickers of elves. Elves. I didn't make this case at the beginning, but I made it on Discovery and I'll make it now. Uh, Wade works really hard for this podcast and uh, he spends a lot of his own money for it. Uh, we don't make a lot of money, and but he does a lot of shit. So, uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that like, yeah, we work, we, you know, you're too kind. Yeah. It'd be nice know, to, if you can help out, if you can help out with Patreon, that would be really, really cool. And we're excited about the stuff that we're kind of going to do behind the, the, for the patrons. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while now. So we're pretty excited. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anybody who wants to get in, in contact with us, Wade, who, what should they do? Oh, oh, you should give us a call at 917-408-3898 or email us at rulesofacquisitionpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us a message on there. Yeah, y'all heard from, I believe it was from Kate this week. That was a great thing. If you have other things you want to leave for us, you know, do the same. We love hearing from everybody. Each and every one of you, even if you don't get played immediately, we want to hear from you. So keep doing that. And uh, follow us on Twitter at AcquisitionPod and Discovery Home Companion and all the other stuff. All right. Yeah, all the other stuff that every other podcast wants you to do and rate. <laughs> Please, that really helps us out. Do it. All right. Yep. Well, thanks again for listening this week. We hope you join us next time. Three to beam out. Do you know the cunt weasels that run this show have a call in line where you can express your DS9 wishes and DS9 dreams into their ear holes? They will play them on air and try to be nice to you because one day they hope to sell you Blue Apron snacks and underwear made out of Modal. The number is 917 408 3898 that number again is 917-408-3898. You will probably want to talk about how hot Dax and Bashir are, that is great. These pretentious asses also love it when people say they are wrong, so feel free to do that. James will probably go off on a knowingly obtuse rant about construction issues or political sophistication we know you love that, again 917-408-3898. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes.